Welcome back to another episode of Crush and Lemons. As always, my name is Ryan and I'll be your host each episode. As the old saying goes, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Here on Crush and Lemons, we're dedicated to sharing the inspirational stories of our guests each week who've persevered through life's challenges. On today's episode, our special guest is Andy, and he's going to share a very personal story with us about going through childhood bullying with his sister. At a young age, children don't always understand what's going on, especially when it comes to bullying, and Andy shows us an in-depth look at his thought process growing up and realizing how that has helped shape who he is and what he does. And now it's time to sit back, relax, grab some lemonade, and join us as Andy shares his story of how he was able to take his lemon moment and make his very own lemonade. So on today's episode, our special guest is Andy, and like always, I will turn it over to him to start off the episode to introduce himself. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Flatkunsi. I'm a Lutheran pastor in Falmouth, Maine. If you're wondering where the heck that is, that's right outside Portland. Andy and I go back quite a few years now. We actually met back in the day at a church camp that I used to attend when I was younger, and he was one of the counselors at the camp. So <laughs> sometimes we're like, oh, you shouldn't join people on social media and whatnot. And of, of course, we broke those rules. And now many years later, we are still very good friends. Um, so It's been eight years. Did you know that, Ryan? Has it really been that long? It has been. And, you know, so fun fact, everybody, Ryan is a great photographer and videographer, so you should hire him for your wedding because <laughs> Ryan does all of the things. Um, but he also makes amazing bakery items. So, yeah, but it's been eight years. That's hard to believe. Like so, sometimes I don't even realize <laughs> that, like, I've graduated college and I'm out into the real world. I'm like, wasn't high school like yesterday? <laughs> Right. Like I graduated college. I graduated grad school. I've lived everywhere under the sun, it seems. And so, yeah, doing the thing. Yeah. Andy's definitely a lucky one where he's gotten to travel a lot uh, as he's kind of gone through the process of becoming a pastor. And so he's been out to California and Hawaii and Alaska. And I've been lucky enough to visit him at quite a few of those locations. So at some point, I would love to get out to Maine and see your new location. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to being in Maine for a while, too, because my spouse always says we need somewhere to settle, although he's been the one that takes us all of these places (laughs) because he's the one that talks to God, and they have a conversation. We end up moving. So, yeah, (laughs) life is funny. Yes, it is. Well, let's go ahead and dive right in and have you kind of give us some of the backstory and set the scene of what your lemon moment is. And really kind of paint the picture for the listeners so they can kind of step back in time to your lemon moment. Absolutely. Um, I want to begin by making a note in the content warning slash content note here that what I'm going to be talking about is triggering for some people. There's some physical violence, sexual violence, um, some negative words and language, that kind of thing. Just so you're prepared for that, if that makes you uncomfortable or that's something that you really don't want to listen to, you're not a safe place to listen to that. By all means, come back to this, completely skip this episode. I won't be offended. I won't be hurt. Just know that this episode gets pretty pretty dark in that regard. Thank you for that so note. I gr- of course. So I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. Um, I'm going to be a little bit ambiguous with some of the details because there are some people that might know people who are listening to this that, you know, the world's a small place. And so I want to be a little bit ambiguous with that. 
Um, so yeah, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, and the neighborhood I grew up in was really old. People that were, you know, there had grown up there, and they had worked there, and that kind of thing. And so now, by the time my parents had moved into the neighborhood, it was by and large a lot of retired people. And so we didn't really have a lot of friends, because there weren't a lot of people in the neighborhood to be friends with, with my sister and I, who were, you know, born in that area, that kind of stuff. So yeah, we didn't really know anybody. But then I think before I started second grade, and don't ask me to do the math how long ago that was, <laughs> but before before I started second grade, we discovered, my sister and I, that a few houses away, there were children and there were neighbor kids. And so being the outgoing people that we were, I think I'm much more outgoing now than I was then, but you know, we were pretty outgoing. We decided to get to know those neighbor kids and we started up a friendship and they would come over and we would hang out. We'd play on the swing set and then we'd go over there. We'd go and play on, in their pool. You know, we'd watch movies. It was a really good friendship. And my sister and I really had friends for the first time. Um, you know, we would go to school and that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong. We knew people there, but this was like our friends in our neighborhood. And that was a really cool thing. But, you know, about the second summer of being friends with these neighborhood kids, something changed. And it wasn't immediately like something we were aware of. It wasn't something that we were really expecting, that kind of thing. And about two weeks into the summer, we were over at the neighborhood, the neighbor kids house. And the girl who was my sister's age, ironically enough, and my sister for context is two years younger than I am pushed my sister and I kind of choked it up to it was an accident. You know, these things kind of happen, blah, blah, blah. And then we were walking into said neighbor's house and she tripped me as I walked up the stairs. And, you know, I thought, you know, maybe she's just playing around that kind of thing too. And so I kind of pinched her when we were watching a movie and she looked at me, she goes, why would you do that? That's not acceptable. Only I can do that. And I thought, okay. So I remember going home that night and my parents loved to talk about our days, how they went, what we like, like, what did we not like, that kind of thing too. And I didn't say anything because I didn't think, you know, there was anything to say or I blocked it out at that point. And, you know, the next day we went over to the neighbor girl's house and she did some other things that just seemed wrong. She, you know, she said, oh, Katie, who's my sister, stop being stupid. And then she said to me, do you see how she's being stupid? And I'm like, No. So I was a little bit confused again by that. And so what's important to this story at this point is that it's about this time frame in my life slash my family's life that we figured out my sister had autism. And she was in kindergarten and I was, yeah, in second grade. And so when we were trying to figure that out and discover what that meant, um, it meant a lot of different changes, but yet my parents wanted us to have a very quote unquote normal upbringing. And so we were able to do everything else every other family was doing. And when those bullying things started, I didn't know that it was bullying. I just thought it was, you know, play quote unquote. And then there was one day my sister, and this is where the content note and content warning comes from. The neighbor girl says to my sister, why are you so retarded? And I just remember hearing that and thinking, what? That's not an acceptable word. 
And then this neighbor girl says to my sister, you know where retarded people go. They go into the closet. And she opened up the door of the closet and threw my sister in there and slammed the door. I'm a little bit choked up saying this. And I just remember thinking that, uh, and I, and I looked at the, the said, you know, kid who was surprisingly enough younger than me, but still very vocal and all that kind of stuff too. And she goes, well, what, what, what are you looking at? I said, well, that wasn't very nice. And I remember her pinching me like I had pinched her probably, you know, a couple of weeks prior. And then she put me in the closet too. And I'll never forget my sister and I crying in that closet, holding on to each other. And what's unfortunate is that said neighbor girl's parents weren't around or they were outside or everything else that too. And my sister, because of autism, because of, you know, social cues not being all there, was just screaming. Oh, I can still hear that scream. Um, And we got out and I'll never forget said neighbor girl said, don't tell anyone. No one's going to believe you. No one's going to listen to you. No one's going to want to care. That kind of stuff, too. So we went home, and we shared a little bit about our days. And my sister, who'd been crying pretty much you know, for an hour straight, had really red, puffy cheeks. And my parents asking about that. And what was really hard is, like, my sister, being autistic, didn't have the vocabulary to express what had happened. And me, completely shocked and appalled by what had happened, didn't want to say anything. And so nothing got said. And, you know, we got through that summer and I don't know how, but like other incidences happened with like, you know, my sister was held under the water for an extended period of time and this neighbor girl found it funny and she would laugh. And then, you know, there was one time that she made me touch her very inappropriately. And I mean, how the hell does a kindergartner know about these kind of things? And how the hell is that something like one anyone should go through, right? But like, how how is me, a second grader, supposed to comprehend all of this? So, you know, it was a lot of keeping secrets. It was going over there much because my sister and I didn't have a lot of friends. And obviously this isn't a healthy friendship, but... At our age, what is a five slash six and an eight slash nine year old supposed to know about friendships? And so we would go out of, we'd go over there hoping maybe things would be different, and they never were. And interestingly enough, whenever we would go over to, they would come to my parents' house, they were very quiet and reserved. And, you know, what was going on with the brother and sister, the neighborhood kids, was never shown at my parents' house. And so my parents never saw this. And at the same time, my sister and I never talked about it. So this went on for about a year. And during that year, my sister started developing a leg impediment where if she would run or she'd walk, her right leg would drag behind her. And my parents, ever so concerned, thought maybe this has something to do with her autism. And so they, you know, asked her teachers about it. And they didn't know. And then they sought after our pediatrician doctor, and he didn't know. And then we went to a specialist, and the specialist didn't know. And I remember one night 
we were at the hospital because my sister stayed there for an extended period of time for tests and that kind of thing. I went to something like cafeteria with my mom and we came back in the room and my dad is in tears and his hands are in his hands because it is in his hands. And he says, I don't know what's wrong with my daughter. And I remember my mom and him crying and I was very confused again, not knowing what was going on and just the, the amount of like scaredness that my parents had. And then returning back to my hometown, hoping that things would be going to, you know, a better place, but they weren't. I remember, you know, said neighbor girl again, like put on dirty dancing, like what kindergartner should know what dirty dancing is. But like, and then she says, oh, we need to try that. And then being, I was remember being molested and thinking back, what? I mean, it was, it was just, there wasn't the vocabulary I have now to name the things that I am. And so at the time you just experience it. There's no processing of it. Um, and so that silence that my sister and I did, and I can't say my sister, cause obviously she couldn't obviously verbalize everything, but that silence that I held for that year was incredibly harmful to me. I went from a really excitable second grader to a very shy kid. I was the teacher's pet because I wanted to behave in a way that the teacher wouldn't get mad at me and do those same things. I didn't know that at the time, but that's probably what I was responding to. Um, I was the easiest child because I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to face all of that. And although I was unconditionally loved at home, I still wanted to be the perfect kid. So I always kept everything under wraps. I never got in a fight with my sister. My parents one time said that we were too perfect. Um, and I, I never wanted to upset the status quo. I didn't know why it was doing that, but so much of it was like, this is what I have control over, especially because my friendships are so toxic. But then there was one time that second summer when we were up in Michigan. So my late paternal grandparents lived in the upper peninsula of Michigan, where actually Ryan went to college, fun fact. And, Back um, to the whole, the world's so small. <laughs> exactly. And so they lived up there and we went to see them. And I remember my parents were, you know, sleeping in their room and my sister and I were out on the pullout sofa and my sister started to cry. And I tried calming her down and she just couldn't stop crying. And my parents came in and they thought we had gotten an argument or a fight or whatever it was too. And my mom said, what's wrong? And my sister said, neighbor girl name here, hit me. And my mom looked confused and she looked over at me and she's, my mom said, did she hit you too? And I said, yeah, she hit me too. And my dad's sitting down. What else did she do? And then it all came out. And I remember saying to my parents, you can't tell her we've said this. She said that we can't tell anybody. And my dad's saying, we are six hours from them. What is she going to do? And they listened. 
And my sister did a lot of crying and I told them a lot of stuff. And I remember not looking at them when I said it because I was so ashamed. But my mom asked me at one point in the conversation, look at me. And I remember looking up and she was crying. And my dad, who was sitting next to her, was crying. And she said, we love you. And my dad saying, and we believe you. And there was something about it, you know, that really just opened up. I mean, my emotions were flowing. My sister was flowing. My parents' emotions were flowing. And there was something that was just raw and vulnerable and really real. Um, what I really loved about it is that my parents then said, this isn't your fault. You did nothing wrong. And oh, I remember hearing those words, probably believing them maybe to some extent, but they hugged us. And it was that hug that became real. It was the physical touch that we got from the neighbor that was so violent. And those awful words that were said, much of which I've both violence and words I've left out from this conversation, but the love of that hug and those words of unconditional love were what my sister and I needed. So interestingly enough, during all of this, my parents decided to go to family therapy, which as a pastor, fun fact, I recommend for every family because it's a really <laughs> healthy thing. I actually recommend everyone go to therapy. I mean, I think therapists are wonderful people. Um, but like that is to say, we went to family therapy and my sister and I met with the therapist and we were able to talk about what was going on. And the therapist also talked with my parents about what was going on. We never were blamed. The therapist met us where we were at. She also said she believed us. And we talked about what we could do. Did we want to become friends with these kind of people? Did we you know, want to stay friends with these kind of people? That kind of stuff. And it was during that session, you know, that we were meeting with this therapist every so often that my sister got up and went to get a drink of water from the water cooler. And she walked like she did prior to all of this for the first time. And now, mind you, this was after several, several months. And oh, my goodness. It became reality about why she was walking like that and why she couldn't express herself in that way and how it had manifested itself into this mobility challenge. And that since she had worked through it and she was working at that point still through it, there was a way of getting beyond what she was facing. So my parents decided after several months and we had not seen these neighborhood kids for a while. And, you know, they would come over and my parents would say, Oh, Andy and Kitty are busy or, Oh, they're doing this or whatever else too." that my mom decided she wanted to confront the parents of these kids. And so at this point I'm on the eve of third grade. My sister's on the eve of first grade. My mom goes over there. And she confronts the mom. Now, I wasn't there. I don't remember the, I don't, you know, obviously have firsthand knowledge of the conversation. But I'll never forget my mom coming in, slamming the door shut, 
calling my father at work, saying to him, you need to come home. I need to talk to you. He came home. Their bedroom was on the second floor. My sister and I's bedrooms were on the first floor. They went upstairs, and then they were up there for a long time. I remember hearing my mom crying and my dad coming downstairs. And before we had anything for dinner, him sitting my sister and I down and with my mom and saying, I want to start by saying what you experience is not okay. What you experience is wrong. And what you experience is, is not at all, uh, you know, acceptable. But your mom needs to tell you something. And my mom said, neighbor children's mom doesn't believe you. And I remember looking at her and saying, well, why not? She goes, well, she had a bunch of excuses, but I don't think any of them are true. And we do believe you. And it's really unfortunate that she thinks these things, that she doesn't believe me. And my mom said, it is unacceptable that that's, that's what she thinks. And I remember my mom saying to us, you can still be friends with these neighborhood kids if you want to, if you want to go back to being friends. But we completely understand if you don't want to be. So several years after that, my sister and I moved to a different neighborhood. Well, my parents did too. We as a family moved. I think it was about a year and a half, two years later, unrelated to any of the, the bullying we experienced. And it slightly started to happen again. But that time, we immediately went to my parents, our parents. And that time, my parents called up the neighborhood kids' parents and told them all that this was unacceptable and would not be tolerated. And, you know, the parents somehow did something. And unfortunately, these parents also were like, well, my children would never do that because, you know, God forbid you ever think that your kids are at fault. But at the same time, my parents, because we were older, told us again that they loved us unconditionally, that what happened to us wasn't our fault. And they told us, thank you for telling us sooner. Thank you for telling us now before it got bad. And my sister, who you know never developed a mobility challenge, thankfully, because we talked about it sooner. And what's really interesting is that my sister and I aren't really that close to people. But this is something that we've had forever tied the two of us together. It's something that we sometimes talk about. It's something that she's put into poetry and short story. It's something that I've talked about um, with other people, with youth, with, you know, even young kids, I've talked about with adults. It's something that's become a passion of ours, and we never really wanted it to. It's something that we both fight against and never really signed up for this. And so we went from experiencing what it means to be a victim to being moving to a survivor mindset, to telling others that bullying and harassment isn't acceptable, that will not be tolerated, and that people who are bullied, it's not their fault. And people who do bully, why are you doing this? It's asking really challenging questions. 
And you know the really awful thing about all of this that I think about is that it caused me, and I can't speak for my sister in the circumstance, but it caused – I shouldn't speak for my sister in any circumstance. It caused me to grow up really fast. I became an adult really quickly after that. It, it ruined my childhood in a lot of ways. And at the same time, it really formed me as an adult. It really made me empathetic more as a kid to the emotions and the needs of others around me more than my peers. And so for that, I'm thankful. I'm kind of, I guess, not angry because I'm not angry about the situation. I'm disheartened that it happened. I'm disheartened that I grew up so fast under the circumstances that why I grew up so fast. But it gave me an opportunity to really work for change. And it really, it defined a lot of my childhood. And so in turn, it's made me a lot, it's, it's made me consider my adult choices that much more seriously and that much more intentional. And like you mentioned, kind of going into that survivor mindset and sharing your story is really important so that other people who may be going through something like this and don't necessarily understand it, kind of like how you did when you were younger, even if parents were to listen to this and try to look for some of those signs and maybe figure out, hey, is this happening with our children and can have that early intervention so that things don't grow to the scale that you and your sister had to go through. Absolutely. And I think since you you named a very important thing here, right? Because like, that intervention is so important. And it begins even before that with educating not only children about, you know, here's signs of you're being bullied and you should seek out help. But what are signs adults can look for? So that if they see that in their children, there might be something else going on. Is the child withdrawn? Is the child, you know, incredibly flipped in personality from who they were previously? Is there physical marks? Are there words that they're saying that they hadn't said before that you hadn't taught them? You know, like where can we be proactive in this as adults? Not only so, like, you know, obviously adults are also harassed, but like where can we be pro- proactive as adults so that if we see these things in children, we can respond immediately instead of waiting for the child to tell us? Exactly. Thank you for sharing that very personal story. Um, I know sometimes reflecting on things like this and going back to our past isn't always the easiest thing to do, Um, and especially in a case like this where this was kind of a a defining moment that has stuck with you and your sister throughout your lives and will continue to be a part of who you are. Um, So being open and honest and willing to share this with other people, I think is really incredible um, and helping to kind of get that message out there, like you said. So now that we've really talked about your lemon moment, what would you say is kind of your lemonade that you've been able to learn from this experience and go out and kind of embrace? Yeah. I've really become an advocate. I've really become an advocate for, you know, against bullying and helping people, in this case, children, really name hard truths. You know, this is this sounds all very intellectual, but basically that means that like it gives kids a chance to share what's going on in allowing kids a brave space where they can express all of this. 
I think, you know, one of the, the biggest things that really upsets me is that adults don't take kids seriously in many times. And so taking children seriously, teaching children about consent, because they will understand it. You know, I love, we got a couple friends of ours who are teaching their daughter right now about consent and she's all of two years old. And obviously it's not like telling her the words, but it's like, okay, you want to touch so-and-so or give them a hug or hold their hand, ask them first, that kind of thing. But it's also, it's allowing kids to express themselves. And so when a kid says, oh yeah, I was on the playground and, you know, I don't know, Susie pushed me. Well, why'd you do that? Would you want to swing? Oh no. And then, you know, they go into that, that kind of stuff too. And it's really listening to kids. And so that they have, you know, their realities to share. It's also making a space where kids feel like they can do that. And it's really going down to their level and meeting them where they're at. I think that's what my lemonade is, is that I can be the person for those kids that my parents were for me. And not only that too, but I can be a better responder. Not to say they weren't great responders, which they were, but like, what would, what did my experience teach me that I can then talk to kids about? Or, you know, one of the things that the therapist did was she'd have us do this coloring book, which I love coloring, still love drawing, nothing good in it, but you know, that's not, that's not the point. So I would do the coloring and, you know, said therapist would ask questions as I was doing that. And so it was, it was again, meeting me where I was at in doing something that I felt safe doing so that I could be brave and share information with her. Well, and I, I like the phrase that you used about a brave space. I've never heard that kind of terminology before. I've always heard about making a safe space and an open space. Um, but it's one thing to have it be a safe space. But just because it's safe doesn't mean somebody is willing to open up. So to give them a spot where the children can be brave and really express themselves and open up, I think is a great way to phrase it and look at it and something I've never even thought of before. So I think that's an awesome way to, to look at it. Well, thank you. I, I can't take credit for it. A lot of um, psychologists talk about it. A lot of therapists talk about it. Um, so fun fact, I often think about getting another degree in therapy, although I've got enough degrees right now. Um, <laughs> And I also want to be a pastor. Um, but that is just to say, so speaking to brave spaces, and I can't speak for everyone's you know, understanding of what it is, safe spaces where people can be vulnerable. But I think with brave spaces, it's also a place where not only people can be vulnerable, but people can ask questions in a non-judgmental place, and they can really name hard truths. I think in brave spaces too, there's the development and the cultivation of the ability to share one's reality. And unfortunately, I mean, this is a side tangent, but I think it's important to name here too. Society doesn't often give spaces for brave spaces. There's like these little micro experiences of like, yeah, Andy was bullied. The family talked about it. They sought a therapist done versus how then do we live as a society? How do we name bullying right now? And you know, Ryan, you can cut all of that part out if you want to, because I just kind of went with it. Kind of reflecting on all of this and everything that you've learned um, and kind of figured out along and into adulthood. 
Are there any specific resources that you found particularly helpful that would be worth sharing with other people? I think if we're talking to adults here for resources, it's them contacting, you know, maybe they've got a pastor, maybe they've got a friend, maybe they've got a confidant, so that they too can express what's going on. Because that's a lot for a child to unload on parents. And that's a lot for a child's parents to process. And so maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's a teacher, and saying, oh yeah, what happened to little Jimmy today at school? Or, you know, little Jimmy expressed all of this kind of stuff too. It's having a, a network and a support system for the people who have also indirectly experienced this. Because, you know, if bullying is as bad as it was for my sister and I, or even if it wasn't, parents also have to process that experience. And, you know, the reality is, is that bullying comes from somewhere. And a lot of times bullying comes from what people experience themselves. And so the big thing that I come back to that we will never know is that those kids that bullied my sister and I, what if they were abused at home? You know, what if it, what, maybe it wasn't as bad, maybe it was worse, but whatever the heck those sayings even mean, but like, what if they were experiencing bullying themselves on any level? It's not acceptable. But if they were experiencing really awful, I, I can't help but think like this is a systematic thing. This is a systemic thing. And so therefore, what what's going on? You know, do, do parents need to intervene and see what else is going on at other people's houses, that kind of stuff too? And it's 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 knowing what your kids are doing, respecting their space, because kids also need space but being intentional and being involved and really loving your kids unconditionally. I definitely agree with that. If you had the ability to go back in time and have a conversation with yourself at that age, kind of going through this, is there any advice or bit of knowledge you would share with yourself knowing what you know now? A couple things. One, this isn't a friendship. What's happening here is not how friends are to each other. This is not a relationship with other people. This is an abusive system. I mean, I probably won't use the term system because, you know, eight-year-old Andy wouldn't know what the heck that word meant. But like this would be to say, what's happening isn't okay. Tell mom and dad, they'll believe you. Number two, it's not guilt that says this to me. It's thinking it through, get your sister out of this situation, you know, remove yourself if you can. It's based off the first one, tell people and get out because she can't express herself like you can stop it before it gets worse. And that's not to blame the victim. That's more to say, Hey, this isn't a friendship. Get out. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? I think so. Just one thing. It's not from my story, but it's from my life experience since then. Bullying has gotten really creative outlets. It's moved to cyberbullying. It's moved to text messages. It's moved from traditional thoughts. Like, you know, when you think of bullying, where do you think it takes place? You know, those kind of places. It's moved beyond that. It's infiltrated itself into society, 
in different outlets and ways. And so it's been very not helicopter parent in this case, but it's been very intentional about like, who are your children's friends? What kind of parents do they have? You know, where, what's going on in their world? It's really getting to know your children. And I think, you know, a lot of parents are really good at knowing who their kids are through, you know, art or through various like homework projects and like they can express themselves too, but it's really getting to know your children's emotions and responding to them. And it's really having in-depth conversations with your kids that meet them where they're at, but still respect their voice and respect their ability to share with you and be vulnerable with you what's going on in their lives. And then it's also taking it a step further. It's not only listening to all of that, it's affirming to them that you believe all of that. It's affirming to them that you are their parent and you have unconditional love for them and that they can come to you with anything. So it's getting to know their social circles, like I mentioned just you know a couple of minutes ago, their teachers, their friends, their friends' parents, all of that kind of stuff too, because your child is, you know, should be loved unconditionally by you and by the people around them. Because nobody should have to become an adult at eight years old. Nobody should have to experience what it means to grow up that fast. There should be room for kids to play and be kids. I can't agree more. And hopefully this as a platform to reach out and share this message with more people. Um, maybe it'll, even if it helps one person to become more aware and do some research on their own and learn how to intervene in situations like this and really help prevent bullying. I think that's the most important thing that any of us can do is start looking for those signs and be that person who is there for others and believes them and listens and comforts them and really kind of keeps the community together so that people don't feel isolated and feel like they're going through these kinds of situations alone. Absolutely. And I should make a plug here for myself. <laughs> I made all those plugs for you. If there's somebody listening to me right now who's a parent and said, hey, my kid has expressed this or I think my kid might be going through this. If they want to contact me, by all means, the, the side tangent to that is contact Ryan. He can give you my contact information. By all means, I'm more than willing to have that conversation with parents or guardians or other people who are in children's lives who might be going through something and you're looking for resources, you're looking for an ear to vent on, if you're looking for just whatever it might be, by all means, contact me. If I don't know, I will tell you I don't know, and I'll look for resources for you beyond me because you also need that support system. And you also need a system that sends that going, okay, I don't have all the answers to parent because I never expected you know, my child to go through this. So maybe you need that. By all means, contact. So on that same note, are, if people wanted to kind of follow along with your journey, do you have any social media um, platforms that people could follow you on or reach out to you there as well? I have a Facebook. It's a personal Facebook. So they could reach me on there. Um, Ryan can give you my email. Um, and then again, so I'm the pastor of Emmaus Lutheran Church in Falmouth, Maine. You can go on their website. You can find my, you know, 
information that kind of way. I, I, I should preface this. I'm a pretty private person, so you can't <laughs> find me on a lot of social medias. I don't have Twitter. I don't have WhatsApp. I, I do actually have WhatsApp because I contact my friends in Europe that way. See, this is how much I'm like ignorant to social media. <laughs> I don't have Twitter. I don't have TikTok. I don't have all of these social media platforms people have, but there are ways of getting a hold of me. Smoke signals is probably not the best because <laughs> it's a little bit long distance from wherever I am. But there are options. So like always, we'll put some of that contact info for Andy in the podcast description. So at least if you want to have a, a basic idea of how to get a hold of him, um, we'll put his parish's website there so that you can click on that and get through there. Um, or like you said, you can always reach out to us on any of our social media, um, direct message, or you can always send an email to crushinlemons at gmail.com and we can help you get in touch with any of our past guests um, and help you kind of get through any of your lemon moments. So once again, Andy, I really appreciate you sharing this very personal story that you and your sister went through kind of as children and hopefully other people that are hearing this, it can help them either reflect on something they may have experienced on their own or help see some of those warning signs out of children or friends in their lives. Um, so again, thank you for joining me today and sharing that story. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I, you know, I think your podcast is doing a lot of good. I think it's coming at a time where people really need the human connection. And I think that this podcast is fulfilling part of that. As always, thank you for joining us today for another episode of Crush and Lemons. And a big shout out to Andy for sharing this very personal story with us that will hopefully help other children and families going through similar situations. If you want to learn more about this podcast, check out our social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Crush and Lemons. And send us a tweet with ideas for future episodes. And if you or someone you know would be interested in being one of our future guests, send us a note to crushandlemons at gmail.com. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with someone you know and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming service you've listened to today. It really helps us grow. If you're dealing with your own lemon moment, just remember you're never alone. There's always other people out there who've gone through similar things. We look forward to sharing more stories with you in the future. In the meantime, keep an ear out for when our next episode drops and work to turn your lemon moments into your very own lemonade.